Faire la grasse matinée, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is French for to do a fat morning. <laughs> Excuse me, a fat mm-hmm. morning? Mm-hmm. It's an idiom meaning to sleep in. Oh, I like it. Uh, I like a fat morning. Something we got to do this weekend because, surprise, <laughs> no race. We uh, did. I'm, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Hi, Drew. Yes, of course. In the, I feel like any good podcast has at least one episode every couple of years when everything they talked about is made redundant almost <laughs> immediately on published time. And we certainly had that last week. I think this is probably a new record for us. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, you know that uh, things tend to break the moment our podcast is released. And this time, I think it was like a matter of 30 minutes or so, uh, that the entire race was canceled. Yeah, we've had news break and it's been annoying. You know what I mean? Like somebody right. signs yeah. for somebody and it's like, oh, we we have a podcast up that week and we're not talking about the big news. Um, but for folks who are new to F1, we don't generally have an entire race weekend uh, terminated. And especially we don't have it happen like days before uh, the race even starts. I think that just goes to show just how serious uh, this situation in Emilia-Romagna really was. Because like, man, even like, the only one I can think of is, was it, I think it was, was it the Bahrain Grand Prix back in, I think it was 2012 was the Arab Spring year when it got cancelled maybe a week prior. Well, there was also... Uh, Australia 2020. But that got cancelled after people turned up on Friday. Yes. That was so super. So that, yeah, that's yes. a good example of what usually happens. F1 usually waits until the last possible moment because gotta make that dough. Gotta make that yeah. dough. Uh, speaking of making that dough, Rob Zachney out on assignment. I, I don't know that he's making dough. He probably <laughs> is. He's, he's, a big, he's a big baker, I think. Yeah. Um, is he moonlighting? I feel like this is his moonlighting. Although... With Waypoint's days numbered, perhaps mm. it's not his moonlighting anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer. Uh, it's an episode that assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. Uh, a little onboarding for everyone. Uh, this year's primer is episode 216. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? This month we are delving into the wonderful world of anime to mm. watch 2009's <laughs> is that <Red> french line. <laughs> yes that is yes thank you very much um 2009's red line uh, uh the 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 anime about the most uh, fastest and most prestigious race in the universe take that oh. triple crown um <laughs> yeah. is this the first anime i mean we did speed racer the movie which is the live action movie yeah that's yes. anime adjacent uh manga Certainly. adjacent um but yeah, we're excited to watch that. So uh, check that podcast out and the dozens of others. I mean, if you sign up as a patron today, you get access to years worth of them. Uh, like these beautiful people, a lot of our amazing title sponsors. Alex Medina, Kick a Hat of the Art, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, uh, at Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Ironstation.dev, TelemetryDeck.com, FTC, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foote, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Hashtag Bunny Crimes, R.I.P. Waypoint, Sniggs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, 
Umberto Roca, William Rompf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Madden Man, and of course, the one true Jason Kelly. Indeed. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. For supporting the show. Uh, and yes, uh, we, we, I think we had mentioned that we were going to re- be recording Redline this week. We're going to wait another week. Still get it in by the end of May, uh, yes. but we want Rob Zachting to be there because I have a feeling he's going to want to see this. Yes, um, absolutely. But yes, as we mentioned, the Emilia Romana Grand Prix at Imola was canceled due to weather. Uh, you may have seen in the news, uh, there is heavy flooding in the region. Um, Incredible and, uh, weather. Like, oh when, yeah. When, when, the, when, we, when Rob posted in the Discord, I went searching and I found, you know when you find tweets that are not in your language and you're like, ah, I, I got to double check this one because it can't be that bad. It was like the picture was like the paddock underneath like two feet of water already on Tuesday. Yeah. I was like, There's no way it's that bad. And I looked it up and it was like, oh my God, like the banks of that river just straight up burst that early. And as bad as it was at the track, some of the region was just, there was obviously a loss of life as well, loss of multiple lives and just Mm -hmm. millions of of, uh, lira worth of uh, damage. Yes, yeah. Uh, obviously, our hearts go out to anyone affected by it. Um, the The race was canceled. Tickets, however, were refunded uh, for those who um, had bought them to attend the race. Also, F1 TV got extended by seven days. Yeah, if, that was a uh, funny one. You may have gotten an email. Yeah, I, I fe- I, it was funny because, like you said, I was feeling like lots of empathy for the people uh, on site. But, so it was weird to receive an email that was like, you know... <laughs> talking Don't to worry. me as a victim yeah i was kind of like it's all right like yeah thank you i feel much better now yeah i, I think they also donated a million dollars to the relief effort um okay it's worth ferrari mentioning. ferrari Sorry, donated what? a million euros euro yeah um yeah good point i'm, I'm here i'm saying lira and dollars uh, uh euro um it's worth mentioning that one of the main reasons why events get called off and one of the reasons why uh, in this case bruce springsteen actually came under fire for going ahead with his concert is that uh is that the reason people cancel it among other reasons is that it obviously takes a certain amount of the local resources which could be used in the emergency effort so police and you know civil servants and uh uh, ambulances and stuff like that yeah yeah transport systems all that type of stuff which obviously needs to be coordinated a lot more in the case of a, a regional disaster like that yeah yeah, and I'm very glad that we didn't wait at, like, Australia until the last, literal last moment. I mean, pe- people were, you know, personnel were there. Um, it was Wednesday uh, that it was called off, uh, so that's usually when, when folks fly in, um, or a lot of them do, some of their even earlier. But Monaco uh, was actually in jeopardy for a moment because um, teams were only, uh, you know, much later allowed back to the track in time to rescue their equipment oh, wow. uh, and take it to Monaco. But um, that, of course, will be going ahead. Um, Imola probably won't be rescheduled because there's there's actually no slot for it to go into that would either that wouldn't either shorten the summer break right, um, or create like a four or five race in a row you know, quadruple quintuple header. <laughs> Nobody wants that. And probably we're like when we're off in Asia or something, you know what I mean? And we have to like jump right, back and, to, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a shame that the China slot was so early because we did have that weird gap right. a couple of weeks back. Like it's strange. Like we're, 
we're relatively far into the season and in many ways it feels like there's been hardly any races yeah um well there there were some uh some makeup races virtually speaking mm-hmm. of covid um uh, the Williams team put on uh, a charity race. Um, Alex Albon and Williams team principal James Vowles raced in uh, the event playing uh, F- <laughs> the F1 2022 game. Um, I, will, I will put a link to that and this next one in the show notes. for Verstappen and Lando Norris played iRacing um, with Team Red Run- Redline, and both of those uh, were fundraisers to uh, support the relief efforts. Uh, also, Yuki Tsunoda was out there on Man on the Street Cleaning it up. Oh, you're kidding. Like just yeah. in the region? Yeah, he's probably running for mayor. You should you should <laughs> check this this uh uh Twitter um uh link that I have put here in the show notes. I will. What a hero. Um, Does he live in Italy? No, he I think had just flown in there. Okay. I actually don't know if he lives in Italy because you know he, the the team is based there. Yeah, so and I remember I some part of Drive to Survivor where they were like, "Yuki, you really need to get in shape. Uh, come see our trainer." <laughs> You really need to get in shape. Move to the land of pasta and pizza. <laughs> um, he's really cleaning up the street. It looks like a beautiful uh, um, street. I mean, Italy just is ridiculous, isn't it? Look at it. It just looks yeah, looks like a fairy tale. Yeah. Except for all the mud on the ground, I guess. But also, it sort of gives it a, I don't know, like a like a Middle Ages feel. Like, that's probably what it looked like when people were throwing chamber pots out of their windows. True. I'll bet they don't want it. To look that way, though. That's so true. I'm glad Yuki, they have Yuki Tsunoda. Oh, actually, now that I see it, there's a lot of uh, basements there. Hmm. Oh, man. That was probably not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, best best of luck to all the all the folks affected. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, upgrade packages were one thing that we had talked about for Imola um, that we obviously won't get to see. Um, and it kind of varies by team who uh, how they're going to react to that so some have opted to uh push to the following round at uh, barcelona catalonia uh like ferrari um but mercedes will be introducing their upgrades uh at monaco so be on the lookout for that it's a that's a good point because like a lot of the like monaco is such a weird little race like in many ways the cars are not you know when they're setting up their cars for the season they're they're not really thinking about Monaco all that much. It's a it's a spot where, you know, overtaking is tricky. And largely, you, you know, especially in the case of teams like Haas, you just want to get through the weekend without breaking one of your cars. So I can totally see the, you know, especially if it's coming to like top speed aero stuff, it's probably redundant, you know, pulling it out in Monaco. In many ways, Emilia Romagna was probably yeah. not the best fit either, whereas Catalonia will be um, make a lot more sense. And then obviously they won't run the risk of, damaging apart and especially in this post uh, cost cap world it's not like they can just make another one like they have to be super smart and strategic about all that type of stuff yeah for sure uh one other thing that we were that i at least was looking forward to at imola that uh that won't be there for monaco danny what's his next piece yeah the uh the new qualifying rules that we went into quite deep detail in Mm -hmm. and talked about i would say numerous possibilities of what would happen during the race weekend and the various different ways in which this new qualifying uh uh you know see that episode wasn't all for not right (laughs) we we got deep on you know potential strategies i feel like Uh, we were like really putting in the work to explore 
this the space and make it so we had a hot runtime for that podcast because <laughs> and then for so it feels especially egregious that this was one that that came back to uh to buy there were emails ours. those are evergreen that's true that's true emails emails are evergreen really <laughs> uh, we <laughs> should go back and listen to some they of the weren't emails. canceled <laughs> uh but yes one thing that was canceled was the new qualifying rules which we talked about the new well sort of, pushed yeah, sorry, pushed uh, until um, Hungary, which is the, the final race before the summer break. So, like, in many ways, this is... It's end of July. It's so deep into the season to be yeah. throwing this out. Like, it, again, it's it's just bad timing that they had this one for Emila. Um, but yes, the new qualifying rules, which I'm not going to go into too much detail here because we did quite a lot last week, um, where they're basically uh, ensuring the teams run specific tire sets. Uh, for, you, for Q1, Q2, and Q3. Yep. Um, all that Hard stuff is going to be tested out in uh, in Hungary at the end of July uh, before we have our mandatory break in the summer. And for those of you who are new to F1, that does not just mean there's no races. That means that everybody in the factory, in the car, uh, running the team, they all have to down tools. Uh, Doing podcasts. Actually, I wonder if they're allowed to do pot. That's a good point. I mean, I mean we, us. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. But if, do you remember when they had a drive to survive? Christian Horner was just hanging out in his back garden, and like Jerry Halliwell asked him to do something, and he was like, "I can't. It's the, it's the summer break." <laughs> That's a pretty good joke. I was even thinking, like him being filmed for the documentary was that? Did they have to have a special? stipulation for that or was that okay i don't know god that's probably yeah outside the sporting regulations right uh one person who doesn't have to worry about working the summer break or ever again is the director uh of the television broadcast in monaco which i had forgotten was its own dude uh, yeah mo- all the other races are done by you know they often i don't know if they have all local or some local camera operators i I, i'm not sure about that we we went into detail a couple of years back about the helicopter and how that works and how the camera up there is the same person but the actual helicopter pilots themselves um are different for each race um or perhaps they're shared maybe between mon uh the two italian races or something but generally they're they're the different uh pilots um monaco for the longest time has had a couple of its own weird rules they used to do practice on a Thursday as well, and then take a break on Friday for, I think, regional commerce reasons. Uh, they scrapped that last year. Uh, there's also a weird rule with Monaco. Wasn't it initially... Sorry, I, no, I thought that... And maybe this is just like one of those uh, fairy Urban tales. Legend. But yeah, I I thought it initially came from like, oh, that's when the the prince likes to do his shopping. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised that they... like. In Monaco, who knows? Yeah. And and the race has been going on for so long. I mean, it's right. like almost 100 years that like, you know, some of that stuff might be the case. For instance, the distance of uh, the race in Monaco um, was uh, is, is significantly less based on the length of the track. Um, so they have, a, I think, 305 kilometers is where they tap the le- the the distance of any race. And that's how they come up with the lap count, is they basically divide the length of the uh, circuit per, per lap by that. Uh, Monaco's 260 um, instead. And the reason was because before they had the uh, the two limits, there is a, a three-hour limit for the race uh, in totality, including red flags. And then there is a two-hour limit uh, for the race itself. Um, 
folks who watched last year's race will remember that we reached the three-hour limit for the race in totality due to two red flags uh, due to the rain. Um, but uh, Monaco's one is 260, and apparently the reason for this was because um, the uh, before the tracks, before, I guess, the cars were as fast as they are, and before they sort of sped up some of the turns, it was just taking them too long to get around per lap. So they, huh. they actually shortened it, yeah. Whereas in the modern era, it seems like maybe it's kind of a redundant thing. But also, I feel like after, you know, however many laps it is, 78 laps of Monaco, I'm kind of done, you know? Yeah. I don't happy. think we need 106 or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the one of the last rules, I guess, that, that has been taken off this year is that the uh, race director, the TV director for, uh, for Monaco uh, is no more, it's no longer some local dude who's managed to convince the FIA that he should be able to switch the cameras. Um, uh, what was that last year? It was They cut away from an overtake between oh God, Vettel yes. and somebody. They just went to a random replay of Lance Stroll. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like, uh, most of the time I feel like we don't notice the directors uh, unless they mess up, right? It's one of those types of jobs, yeah. you know? Um but Monaco, obviously, was one where a lot of people noticed, and they noticed last yeah. year, and that might have been the final straw. And I mean, so. it can just, you know, manifest as a boring-looking race. Um, where, that's, you know, you, you, you wouldn't see some midfield battles going on because they yeah. choose to focus on the front, for example. It's very true. And I think historically, if you're watching, like, F1 in the 90s, they did a lot more watching the front when stuff oh, yeah. was going on in the back. But even recently, because of the sort of like population popularity of um, F1 in recent years, I've started to see like lots of really cool citizen reporting style stuff. And there was this one YouTube channel I followed that last week posted a video of all the overtakes in Miami that were not shown on the broadcast. Oh. And it was like 10 minutes. And wow. so it was really interesting that like, yeah, you know, some of these races like anything, like, you know, we're both video people, you know, editing is such a huge part of pace and entertainment and oh and crafting live the production is, i know and doing it live is like a nightmare can you imagine yeah. um yeah but obviously there are perhaps some strategic directorial ways in which they can add a bit of oomph to some of the action um and one of those ways is by sacking that monaco guy and they've done it <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i mean uh i guess it will be seen whether there's a, a tangible <laughs> it'd be, be really tough to tell you know uh without you know, a scientific comparison of the exact same race, you know. Um, but they should A B test it. They should right. have two people yes. edit oh, it. See that you could do. <laughs> Make a new uh, uh, reality TV show out of it, you know? Just have a bunch of yeah. people live do it. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Uh one more thing I wanted to mention is um, you know, if you uh maybe you caught um the uh broadcast that Formula One did on their YouTube channel. Um, as, as sort of a make good for Imola, they broadcast, I think the 2005 and the 2021 races at Imola, uh, on their, in full, on their YouTube channel. Right. Um, I didn't try to watch it, so I don't know if they were geo-blocked or what. They are not apparently in the archives, um, uh, of their YouTube channel, so they, they, they took them down. Oh, okay. Interestingly, uh, the 2008 Monaco, uh, full race is there. Another, like, 
just so happens. Uh, they, they rarely do this, so I'm kind of surprised. Uh, but if you are looking for more stuff to watch, we had mentioned uh, F1 Academy in the past. Um, that is the uh, female-only racing series that is uh, meant to uh, graduate drivers to the F1 ladder onto Formula 3 and Formula 2. Um, they are not broadcasting it live, um, but they have been covering, uh, the races with highlights on their YouTube channel. And I just discovered, um, that they're in addition to the highlights, they're also doing like a more behind the scenes reel, um, that is, uh, like the highlights about 15 minutes long. So if you're interested in that, uh, I'll put a link to, uh, it in the show notes. Is that also on YouTube? That other yeah, F1's YouTube. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. saw they did the older race for Mon- for Emily. I didn't realize they had done last year's as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a, a bummer that we have a race this weekend because there's so much more to watch. So you want to watch the the sim races, you want to watch that stuff, you want to watch Monaco 2008. F1's got your back. Um, but we want to watch Monaco, Danny, or do we? Let's or talk we? about it. Let's Monica, let's Monica, discuss. Yeah, Monaco is such a funny little thing. I do feel like I feel like in in years past it was more. Um, sacrilegious to call into question the right of Monaco to host an F1 race. How I, dare you? These yeah. hallowed grounds. <laughs> it, well, it's, you know, it's totally, it is It is an ancient, ancient race. <laughs> it's been in the F1 calendar since 1950. Um, uh, you know, the, the first race they ever held here was in 1929. It was uh, hosted by a guy called Anthony Nogue. Uh, you will uh, remember that surname, Nogue, from the uh, corner on the track, probably. Um, he was a, I believe, a tobacco uh, businessman who wanted to race around town with his chums, so he set up a race. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. In the ritzy, glitzy, disgusting wealth world of F1, there is no jewel <laughs> shinier than that of the city-state in southern France, the Monte Carlo um, the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, like I said, it's 78 laps long, uh, 3.337 kilometers. It's just over uh, 2.07 miles. And and the, and I guess the, the theater of this race, if you're new to F1, is that it is insane that these cars are driving here. It is an incredibly yeah. tight... Um, street circuit happening in this ancient, you know, almost 1,000-year-old, well, 800-year-old city. Uh, There's so many of the best drivers in the world have raced here. It means a great deal to drivers uh, when they win here, when they qualify in pole position here. Um, It's been the scene of fantastical races over the years, but it has the potential to be an absolute drag. I will say that in recent years, some of the best Monaco races we've had have been down to uh, strategy, sometimes good, sometimes bad, uh, weather, usually bad, um, and then the odd, uh, I guess, incident that sort of shuffled the deck, like a crash that happens at a bad time. Crashes tend to happen here for obvious reasons. Red flags tend to happen here. For obvious reasons, it's very difficult to get these cars out of the way, um, especially. Although they've t- gotten pretty good at it, they're um, probably the best. Like they're some of the best in the world um, uh, at removing. They have those removal cranes everywhere, yeah. and it's it's the one place I think where you'll you'll see a car removed faster than anywhere else. Um, also, a byproduct of <clears throat> sort of how s- small and compact the track generally is. Uh, yeah, one of our our favorite uh, pieces of trivia is that. Uh, the track would not pass muster 
no. if it were new. Formula yeah. One would say, no, that can't be a track. It's too dangerous <laughs> or it's yeah. too tight. It's just like it, there are certain things in place that are just grandfathered in in Monaco. One, is one 100%. And over the years, there's definitely also been changes to some of the uh, runoff areas, for instance, out of the tunnel at the bottom of the, the braking zone there. Uh, it's a lot safer than it used to be after some some dodgy crashes about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Um, uh, there's been some stuff. There, there's a couple of bigger egg, uh, sort of runoff areas as a result of places where they kind of know uh, crashes or overtakes might might happen. A lot of the crashes here come down to well, number one, it's it's driver error is a hard is a harsh way of putting it, but like you know, just drivers clipping the wall a little bit too quickly. And then the other one is obviously just trying to overtake. It's so difficult to overtake here that oftentimes somebody will throw it up the inside, and you know these F one mirrors are not great on a big track and they're even more useless when everyone's sitting and everyone's blind spots so um uh, that's what tends to happen last year's race was really good but almost entirely down to the fact that it hadn't rained at all until the morning of the race and then it was just pouring absolutely bucketing down um the race started late it started under a safety car there was a red flag um, uh, then you had the hilarity slash calamity of the Ferrari double pit stop that basically oh. screwed Leclerc. We'd gotten a pole. Charles Leclerc grew up in Monaco. He is Monegasque. Um, perhaps the most important thing to any Monegasque racing driver is winning the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, then there was another red flag when Mick Schumacher completely destroyed his Haas um, uh, around the, the, the swimming pool she came. That's right, he like, tore it in half. Oh, the back of the car just came right off. And that was, uh, we have sort of since learned, um, was maybe the weekend that put the writing on the wall for Mick. Um, because there's nothing Gene Haas hates more than uh, wasting money on broken cars. Uh, and then ultimately the race, like I said earlier, uh, was finished before the prescribed 70 laps because we had reached the three-hour total time from the start of the race to the the checkered flag um and uh the winner was actually Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz came second and I think it was after that then it was Verstappen because of the uh red flag which basically allowed the two of them who hadn't pitted yet uh to to get a fresh set of rubbers on so it was actually a really fun race but mostly because of weather and crashes so you know we don't like cheering and looking for crashes uh given the week we just had in in or that italy just had we don't necessarily want to cheer for that inclement weather either but you know if you want to go to race in monaco sometimes you gotta you gotta pray for it you know what i am cheering for though is a good qualifying session because uh as we've mentioned monaco is very tight very difficult to pass um and something that's happened a lot in this season so far is that Red Bull, the dominant team, not so great at qualifying? Yes. So that's true. Hmm. Yeah. Might I mean, might conspire to make something interesting. You could argue that Ferrari should have had it locked up last year because of Charles Leclerc getting that pole. Yep. Um. But yeah, you're right. It's not. It's not that hard. But you know, like there is a uh, uh, one DRS zone on this track, and it is the start finish straight. And that Red Bull has a really good DRS, so yep. we may we may see some action up into turn one um, if uh, if Verstappen tries to do it there. Um, but but a lot of the places where there's overtaking in Monaco are those harsh braking zones down into uh, after the tunnel at turn ten, 
is a is a really big one and then there can be some cheeky overtakes and some other funny parts like uh, turn five before they get into that crazy little little you know going down the hill by the hotel um uh, uh curve uh sometimes if people throw it up the inside there there's a couple of spots where um there's a bit more runoff for the person who got overtaken so that's kind of why they picked those corners yeah i mean let's let's talk about a little bit about the track i, th- I think for a lot of tracks, it's difficult for me to conjure up more than like a turn or two. <laughs> um, but Monaco, I can, and I'm not, I don't feel like I am very good at visualizing this kind of 3D space, but I can I can picture a lot of this track. Um, uh, and it's not just because, uh, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of Formula One, because it's not like that for all the other tracks. Monaco is just like, I think because it's so just set in a city, and there's like shops and everything around and, and it's topography is yeah. uh, all over the place and it's all just very narrow and it's right by the water. Like it's just, it's very easy to orient yourself. Um, I, so yeah, just to call out a couple uh, kind of key parts here and not all of them are necessarily like the most exciting sporting places, but you know, they're fun to see like the uh, turn six, the, uh, the the tightest hairpin in Formula One, where you should, like watch for the onboards because they it's like it's more than 180 degrees. Like they have to really crank their steering steering wheel. It's like almost like they're turning it over twice yeah. and then hold it's it, with their opposite hand. Sometimes it's really crazy. I think it was last um, year Nicholas Latifi either misjudged it or couldn't brake fast enough to get his wheel turned in, but just straight up didn't make the turn. And if you don't make the turn, it's not like you can reverse out of there and try again. It's, right. a real, it's a real, like, you don't want to mess that one up. Yeah. And downhill yeah. as well, which it doesn't help things. Yeah, it, it really is kind of a corkscrew. And then you, you've got um, the, the tunnel, of course, which is just such an amazing uh, feature. Yeah. Um, down into that chicane, then along the waterfront. Uh, then that other chicane where I think for uh, people who've watched the last few years will remember as the one that Charles Leclerc completely bend it. Um, then, then the, 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 you know, the twisties back up the hill. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's great. All of these turns do have official names, but I like your ones better. I think. Thank you. The twisties up the hill. Um, yeah. Like you said, I think there's just so much unique, um, what would you call them points of interest i get if this was game design yeah. you know and and also the orientation of the the waterfront makes it very obvious from a lot of shots they also tend to just like i don't know i feel like they do a lot more on boards here i feel like there's less um helicopter shots i don't know well yeah yeah it's between buildings right uh, uh, so they and also just the 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 sense of speed when you're going past houses is different to when you're going past forests that are maybe you know 200 feet off of the off yeah. of the track so it's just an incredible um i feel like youtube compression or video compression has to do a lot of work at monaco um mm. to stop it from being blurry uh, yeah and, i mean it's got a lot of like uh tree branches casting shadows and right. uh in and out yeah. of tunnels um yeah it's completely insane i think if you like i i always find it funny whenever the video games come out if you just try and drive in monaco in first person and just you know, even with all the, you know, driving assists on, it's a nightmare. <laughs> like, I just, it's absolutely insane that they do this. And such a uh, remarkable celebration of the talents of these people that they can do it. You know, and even when they crash, I'm like, sure. <laughs> like, 
you already did the impossible 60 laps. You had to crash eventually. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a numbers game. Yeah, the video games, I feel like the the Monaco Grand Prix is the the racing game equivalent of Triple H's hair. You know, <laughs> right. we're like that was that was yeah. the bellwether to yeah. be like how good is hair technology? <laughs> uh there's always going to be a wrestling game, so we all have to check Triple H's hair. Now it's or with with racing games, it's how good does the Monaco look? Yeah, totally. I remember I used to do it, and also because rain makes games look really realistic, mm. you know, put that post-processing in there, I'd always test that out whenever it came out, which is also, like, the worst way to start playing the F1 game is to do Monaco in the rain. Um, but, yeah, like, I, it's funny. I remember, like, in my head um, playing F1 Grand Prix on the Amiga, Jeff Crammon's F1 Grand Prix um game that he made by himself and is largely thought of as one of the best f1 games of all time and i still remember how monaco looked in that game and it was it was what the one circuit that when i saw it in real life i knew every turn oh that's cool with with other ones because you know they didn't have the trees or any of that sort of that you couldn't really get a sense of the space but monaco is just um it's very unique in that way and and you know even even in the modern era of of Liberty really hamming up what they think is, I guess, the future of F1 perhaps is is having these these street circuit races in the middle of these um these uh, uh uh cities, you know, Vegas and Jeddah and everything. Um, Monaco is not like those. Like it is, it is tighter, it is twistier, it is more historic. Um, yeah, as much as as much as it can be a boring race, every once in a while we get a good one, and I feel like it needs one good race out of four, and that's kind of enough to uh, to keep it on the calendar, maybe. Yeah, well, as the mon- uh, the calendar shifts to Monaco, uh, let's look at the weather. It looks to be on qualifying and the race day in the mid to low 70s in terms of uh, temperature that's low 20s for all you Celsius heads out there. <laughs> uh, but the big question, precipitation. Uh, we're, we always do this, uh, you know, a, a fair number of days ahead of time. But um, according to uh, the weather I'm looking at here, there is a 44% chance of precipitation at qualifying time. Ooh. And just ahead of the race... It is 70% oh boy. dipping to 40% by race time. So, uh, and kind of um, up and down uh, over the course of the day on each of them. So, if anything, maybe a wet track. Um, but with those temperatures, maybe it'll burn off. Who knows? It's hard to Tough tell. To Coastal city, it's got a big mountain behind us, lots of potential for relief rain and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm saying nothing, Drew. Last week, uh, I clearly invoked the, the 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 F1 gods, the weather gods. Let's just see what happens. I I let let's just see what happens. <laughs> I don't think it matters at all what we say. Sometimes, I don't I, know. You're saying I don't control the universe, Drew Scanlon. I'm you're not saying, saying that, that. You're saying that my perspective is not the one truth of reality. How dare you? <laughs> Uh, well, the numbers don't lie, Danny, and Max Verstappen is on top of the Drivers' Championship with 119 points. Behind him, his teammate, Sergio Perez, 105 points. In third place, Fernando Alonso with 75, then Lewis Hamilton in fourth with 56. Carlos Sainz Jr. in fifth place with 44 points. Behind him, George Russell with 40. Charles Leclerc, hometown hero, 
in Monaco with 34 points. Then we've got Lance Stroll in 8th with 27, Lando Norris with 10, and Pierre Gasly in 10th place with 8 points. Behind him, a tie between Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon with 6, then another tie between Valtteri Bottas and Oscar Piastri with 4, and then a three-way tie for 15th place with Zhou Guanyu, Yuki Tsunoda, and Kevin Magnussen with 2. Alex Albon's in 18th place with a uh, 1 point, and Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries have zero Mm. in the constructor standings red bull racing is in the lead so to speak with 224 points to aston martins (laughs) to me so to speak 102 uh mercedes is in third with 96 that's a close battle ferrari is in fourth with 78 and i probably said this before but that doesn't it doesn't feel like that you know i'm like shocked of what you just said i did not realize who was in second yeah yeah, uh, I think all the, there's a lot of consternation about like, oh, Mercedes, but like Ferrari is behind Mercedes and they don't feel worse to yeah. me. Do you know what I mean? It shows you just that consistency, especially the early part of the season really uh, em- puts a lot of emphasis on the or is so influential on the standings, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, McLaren and Alpine are tied in fifth place with 14 points. That's a big gulf from 78 to 14 between fourth and fifth. Uh, and then Gene Haas and team, they're in seventh place with eight points. Alfa Romeo has six. Alfa Tauri has two. And Williams has one. Still a lot to play for in the latter half of the field. Uh, you mentioned Nick DeVries. Maybe worth mentioning some of the rumors that are swirling around him. Oh. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk rumors, Danny. Yeah, I feel like... So, obviously, he's been not enjoying the most wonderful season, and he is behind his teammate. Um, and he is, you know, the, the one of the things we're talking about with DeVries, he is a rookie, but he's 28 years old. He's he's now... And a Formula 2 and Formula E champion. Yeah, but he's, he's not a spring chicken either, so I think that's giving him a little less rope to play with. You know what I mean? I feel like he's he's on a little bit of a tighter leash. And as a result, there has been... I don't know if this is generated from the paddock. I don't know. Perhaps some of this is... I assume some of it's coming out of Avatari because we tend to get some of that, um, you know, stern uh, talk about some of the drivers out of there. But um, there does seem to be a little bit of a worry that he could. there could be a mid-season replacement happening here unless he sort of picks up the pace. Um, who that could be? You know, some folks are saying Danny Ricardo. Keep yes, the, Keep it in the family. Um, I do know they were saying that. And I think um, at least that rumor may have started from the fact that Ricardo went down to AlphaTauri for a seat fitting, um, which does jive with the fact that he is their so-called third driver or Red Bull's third driver. So if he needed to step in, if someone got sick or something, um, it makes sense that Ricardo would fill in there. Um the other but, one is yeah. uh, Liam Lawson. Who oh, I, I think, haven't heard that one. Yeah, and I think I haven't been following exactly what's going on with him, but I do... He's th- the other reserve driver for Red Bull, I think? I think he must be. He's on the Red Bull team. I know that for sure. He's yeah. a junior driver with them. I think he's in Super Formula um, in Japan, mm. and I, I might be wrong, but I think either they've sewn up the championship or something's happened over there that's basically freed him up a little bit. Oh. I didn't I didn't research this for today's episode, but... Um, I also heard that um, there's a possibility there. So, you know, 
in any case, regardless of whether or not these rumors are true, I do feel like we are in sort of not yeah maybe like put up or shut up territory for Deries. Mm. Um, you know the season. I I think not having this one race. I feel like not having Emilia in Romania and having to go straight to Monaco in an F1 car is probably not the easiest thing he'd like to do. And we saw a drive to survive how much Yuki had a you know tough time with this particular track as well. Just having the confidence to go around it fast. Um, but yeah, interesting times for somebody who looked like one of the most confident bets uh, for F1 at the start of the season, but just hasn't found his groove yet. Uh, the other rumor I saw. Uh... Ooh. Perhaps just, even just less catty little corroborate rumor mill people. Yeah, here. what you got uh, is uh, Ferrari signing Lewis Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that I saw soon after that was something along the lines of even Italian media doesn't think that this rumor is true. <laughs> so yeah, take that with a truckload of salt. Yeah, it's funny how we always do that with ex champions. I feel like there's always a thing about an ex-champion not having the patience, trying to get back in the winning column. And I guess there's something to that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it would be, it, It's a weird one, isn't it, with, with Hamilton and, and Mercedes? Because while Mercedes aren't having a good time, I think generally we all sort of feel in, in ourselves that they're just like one little engineering you know, uh, solution away from being right back there. It feels, it, yeah. it, for some reason, it feels closer than like Ferrari to me. But but also, I don't know, you know, it's now been two years of them having bomb cars. So I don't know why I think that. It's just like recency bias or something. But um, I mean, that's, that's Formula One, right? Like yeah. Mercedes has been there quite recently. Ferrari hasn't been there right. in a while. So I that would be a strange move if I were... Lewis Hamilton, unless he's seen something that's like, uh, you know, that unnerves him about the current state of Mercedes. I don't know. And in recent years, I'm I'm struggling to see a a lateral move from a lead driver that has paid off in that way. Like, yeah, you know, Max has had a lot of pretenders in in the second place. Like Perez didn't make a lateral move. That was an upgrade for him, right? To go to Red yeah. Bull, it's a no brainer. But like. You know, obviously, Daniel Ricardo had an awful time making his lateral moves. You could argue Vettel, it Alonso. never really worked out. Until this year, Alonso was doing exa- yeah. exactly the same thing. Alonso this year is probably the only one that I can think of in recent memory, at least with the top teams, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's risky. It's really risky to do that. Yeah. You can always blame somebody else if you're in a good team. Um Whereas uh, that isn't performing, whereas if you make the change, then it's kind of on you if you're not, you know, if, if the car didn't work out as well, it, it, it feels like it, it damages the brand of the driver a bit more. Well, if you'd like to draft your own drivers to your own team, you can do so in the Shift F1 Fantasy League using the link in the show notes. And you can also send us our hot rumor tips to our, sh- our email address at shift one podcast at gmail.com. Or f1.cool slash emails. Thank you. Um, let's take it to the emails, shall we, Danny? Sure, let's do it. Uh, this first one comes in from Phil, who says, Hey guys, I'm a newer Formula One fan who started watching early in the 2021 season. Now that I have a couple seasons under, under my belt, I find myself increasingly agreeing with the general opinion of the podcast that practice is not exactly required viewing. 
But when I was brand new to the sport, I got a lot of mileage out of tuning in for those sessions. Hmm. As someone who was new not only to F1, but motorsport in general, I really valued having time when I could get used to the cars going around the track in a setting that wasn't as information dense as races could be. At the beginning, you don't know the circuits, what's important to how the cars run, how to tell when a car is really pushing or not, uh, what it looks like when a driver makes a mistake, etc. There's a lot going on all at once, uh, and it can be hard to parse all of that information during a race. Practice isn't usually exciting, but it is a way to get more familiar with how things work. If you don't know very much about the sport, it can be very educational. I found watching practice helped me get a lot more out of watching races. You guys do a great job of making a pretty complicated sport approachable to new fans, and your preseason primer was a critical resource resource for getting me into the sport. Really appreciate all you do. Thank you very much, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that, and I I, I would um, double down on the fact that because there's not a lot going on in practice, the commentators yeah. really reach back into the depths of their knowledge to pull out uh, fun nuggets of information. And so you do get a lot of really interesting stuff and about like the, really the minutia. Uh, Cause you know, Phil's right. When they're, when a race is going on, you're talking about what is happening. And right. occasionally Martin Brundle, this is why I love Martin Brundle is cause he's really good at, um, you know, illustrating why something is difficult or like what exactly is happening while it is happening. But for practice, um, they, they do a really good job of like, uh, you know, what if scenarios or, mm. you know, just really stuff that would not be relevant during the race um, and, and really gets at those kind of smaller uh, questions that, that you don't even know you have. Yeah, I feel like, you, you know, you kind of have to watch it differently. Like, to me, um, for all the reasons you just said, practice can be really entertaining. But in the same way, like a race, whenever things happen, it's all about what's happening in the moment and the immediate permutations and what that means for the drive that's going on there. The commentary is basically like watching a football game or a soccer game or a hockey or basketball game. If you're watching practice, it's like baseball or it's, <laughs> or it's like cricket. You know what I mean? Where you're not, you don't have to watch it all the time. It's something to have on that you can turn to when something really important happens. But yeah. like you said, you have that sort of like regional commentator who knows the nitty gritty and in the F1, uh, you know, um, uh, format, usually they have uh, maybe a, a co-commentator who's not on all the time or one of the pre presenter staff is in for a bit. They often swap them out as well between practice mm -hmm. sessions or during uh, sometimes too. And they'll give like Ted Kravitz a lot of uh, time if you're watching that uh, broadcast on Sky. Um and I think you, like you said, you get a lot of that flavor. But I wouldn't, if if you're, I wouldn't, don't put yourself off watching practice by trying to sit down and watch it like an F one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's kind of something you can put on in the background or or have on in the room, and then when you hear the crack of the bat, you know, kind of run <laughs> yeah. in and and uh, and check it out. I would also on the on the flip side, don't feel like you need to watch practice. You're really not missing anything in terms of like the story of the weekend the way that I think that you would be if you missed qualifying. Yeah, I, I, I would suggest maybe watching the highlights though on YouTube because I think there sometimes there's some stuff that can really make... In that respect, yes. Yeah, yeah, just for, you know, if there's an incident or if somebody's not getting up to speed. 
But off, but like you said, you know, when you're watching qualifying, they're usually filling in that stuff anyway of what yeah. happened in practice. So yeah, it's yeah. not required viewing. Uh, Danny, you want to take this next one from Blake? I sure do. Uh, hey, Shift F1, longtime fan. Uh, back from the Alt F1 days and the Austin meetup. Oh, and wow. That's, that's a blast from the past. And also, uh, I was one of the weirdos who listened to the podcast but didn't watch the races the first season or two. Blake, nice. there are dozens of you, <laughs> <laughs> if not hundreds. Um, anyway, with the cancellation of, the, uh, of Imola, the Formula One YouTube channel showed some classic Imola races. 2021, uh, George and Bottas's infamous crash. And also 2005, Schumacher versus Alonso. As uh, someone who had already started actually watching the races in 2015, going back to 2005 made no sense to me. No tire changes? Refueling? The laps count down instead of up? Uh, <laughs> I enjoy going back and watching some of these classic races. I watch the Canadian race you guys mention all the time. 2011, I think. Yes, that's right. Uh, during 2020 uh, and really enjoyed it. But 2005 is apparently too far because the strategy and cars is intelligible to me. Um, given all this context, how far back can modern F1 fans go? Obviously, seeing familiar drivers helps. Uh, but even with Alonso, Raikkonen, Button, Massa and Sh- the Schumacher brothers, etc. This race was hard to follow personally. I'm guessing the answer is somewhere between 2006 and 2010. But I wanted to get your opinions. Thanks, Blake in Texas. This is, a, this is a very objective uh, question, I feel like, because... Objective? I, subjective, sorry. Okay. Yes, um, because I guess it does depend on the type of, like, uh, era that you are that you joined, I guess, watching F1. Before yeah, I, I guess answer, it, before his I question answer, is, uh, like, the, mo- the modern F1 fan, you know, the... the kind of me right he's right. talking about starting in 2015 it's like the beginning of the turbo hybrid the era. hybrid stuff exactly yeah like i feel like if that's the answer for you then i guess do you feel weird going back and watching stuff that's like older than yeah so in oh, during covid i went back and uh i thought i sat down and was like all right i'm gonna watch every michael schumacher race because it's <laughs> like okay, okay. he's a he's a, a titan <laughs> of the you know, the sport, right? It's in, it would be important to know a lot about his career. Um, that was hard. Um, cause I went back to, when was his first race? It was, it uh, like early nineties at least. Yeah. But I, I, um, I, and they are, the races are different. You alluded earlier, Danny, to the fact that the, the broadcasts really just focus on the, yeah. the leaders. And so yeah. they're, they're not very interesting. Um, and you know, uh, I, I love, um, uh, the old commentary by, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Murray Walker. Murray Walker. Yeah. yeah. Um, who I, I never really got to hear live. <laughs> um, but it, 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 it is a little more, you could tell it's just a guy in a room looking at a TV and, um, he's really at the way he doesn't have all the data that we have now. Um, really at the whims of, you know, whatever the TV director is doing, um, and they really do focus kind of on uh, uh, the front of the field. Um, and so it is it is pretty difficult to go back. I think it's it's an interesting academic exercise. I, I did get a lot out of it, um, but it's it's not that entertaining. Um, it, yeah, I don't I, I, th- I think I think Blake, you've really kind of hit the nail on the head here. It's it's about like what because watching 2011 
that was really cool. And I think you can go back a little further. Um, and it, you, then you, you do get some of that like fun. It's almost like being in another country, you know, like it's, you recognize a lot of stuff, but it is, it is a little different. Um, <laughs> although I, I don't know, I, I haven't actually gone back and watched a lot of that era of racing. Um, I imagine it'll be, it would be a lot of like, just down to how entertaining that particular season was. Cause like some seasons, you know, even if they're very different, if they're close, um, I feel like they could probably still be interesting. Yeah. It's funny. Cause there are sort of the, how you break down the eras of F1. Oftentimes we do it by like the sort of dominance of a particular team or of a particular driver. But as you mentioned that, you know, the turbo hybrid era, obviously there's like the, the three liter era, the V8 era, like you can compartmentalize F1 down into those and where some of the, you know, uh, the I guess changes to the regulations, but also just how the cars sound like, oh. like the, 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 the three liter era, the V8 area. Like, I feel like I, I, in a way, I feel like maybe the maybe the pre like maybe the sort of 2005 to like 95 era might be the weirdest because it feels there's an uncanny valley-ness to it where they mm. start to look like modern F1 cars, but they still have a lot of the um, older, uh, like, I don't know, some of the older aspects of the cars or the engines or the even the tracks they're running on um, might be from, and the rule sets and definitely the broadcasting feels like it's in a different era. Perhaps it's easier to go back to like the Senna era, the early 90s and stuff, the three liters and 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 watch that stuff because it's so far removed like i, I and the cars you know, are simpler you know when, much you, simpler, when you start yeah, getting yeah. into like early 2000s they they do get more complex and then but like in ways that are still pretty different and, and like honestly things like telemetry end up starting to be much more of a presence like during the race you know mm. there was obviously always an element of that but the the sort of the the ability for data to be processed in real time by pit walls and now as we you know talk about back at home bases you know and running all these models and sending the data to the to the circuit in real time um that definitely started to have like rob talks about it a lot like rob would be great to answer this question because he's sort of has this particular particularly strong unbroken run of history with f1 and i had like a 10-year period in, in there where i I wasn't watching um, uh, live races. Dark Ages. Exactly. Yeah, Danny's Dark Ages. The 10-year the war of Danny's life between all the other <laughs> sports trying to grab my attention. Um, but uh, but obviously, yeah, like the refueling, for instance, was something that once they had figured out the <laughs> math behind it became completely redundant because they just were able to optimize that almost immediately. And if you go back to earlier uh, generations, and just like the, how those cars, I mean you don't see f1 cars drifting anymore you know what i mean yeah. like like they oh, just man. they hung so them. small they, they hung nimble. them out they're so light they were just like downforce machines for a lot of the time and they screamed like banshees man and yeah. they were just like so I, I i do wonder if blake should go back and, and taste some of that that sweet uh <laughs> like early 90s late 80s um you know the 3.5s even and and just i don't know see what see how that tastes i guess because like you said it definitely is simpler i feel like um than than the than the sort of like you know schumacher era of the the late 90s before before we 
before we totally changed in the late aughts. Yeah. Uh, should I take this next one from James? Go for it. <clears throat> Hello, Shift F1 crew. Like all of you, I assume, I watch F1 not to support a single team or driver, but instead to watch all the teams, drivers, and anyone involved in this crazy sport interact and compete on and off the track with some cutting-edge engineering thrown in. Off the track? I want to know. Am I missing a part of F1? Bernie Eccleston versus Hamilton. I mean, drive to survive. His own dramatic battle. Good point. Uh, One of those actors is Liberty Media and the FIA themselves. Mm. And while I have really enjoyed my F1 TV subscription, seeing Buxton and his co-presenters take more and more responsibility away from the Sky F1 audio feed, I do sometimes get strong (laughs) state-owned media vibes from them, and I'm a bit worried that it might be affecting the potential drama of the sport. Back in 2009, for example, several teams threatened to start their own motorsport series in a fight with the FIA. I remember... Uh, every pre-race and post-race interview at the time being dominated by the subject. If something like that were to happen now, I cannot see the F1 TV crew directly asking questions about it to their employer. With Liberty Media now fully throwing their weight around with things like an ever-growing calendar and more and more sports-washing street circuits, do you think that having their own media division was created to shield themselves from criticism, or am I being too cynical? And if it is... How do you hold Liberty Media and the FIA accountable without outside journalists? Have always loved the podcast and will be a patron for as long as you let us. James in Berlin. Thank you, James. <laughs> Thanks, James. Uh, I I do have this concern. Um, I Where I go to it is um, uh, watching the NFL in America. Right. Uh, they It is not as direct as like the NFL owns the the commentators um but they do toe the party line pretty well um it's all about it's all money right it's all like we you know you you were for abc you can't say this or we'll lose our you know broadcast license because like the nfl uh broadcast rights are so coveted because there's you know so many eyeballs on them um so yeah i i do worry about that Uh, and i think um you know the I, I I don't I don't think I'm as quite as cynical uh, as as you mentioned, James. I don't think they they created the media division to shield themselves, but it is to control the narrative, right? Um, because you know we've seen these things kind of get out of control. You know, even even in this era, like um, uh, you know the the we race as one stuff was really limp. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Danny? It's it's funny because like uh, media goes through like eras and the who's in power and who isn't and f1 like anyone who's been watching formula one especially in the uk for the past you know 30 years knows just how political the the getting the rights are in and of themselves Uh, it's funny in a way to be in a position where you're looking at sky as the voice of true journalism when they are arguably one of the most erosive factors in 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 british um journalism at least they you know that historically perhaps in, in many respects and um but but again it all goes through eras and there's some in some ways they've done solid reporting in some political areas and and in sport as well but they basically have a wrap on uh um, much of soccer they used to have way more of a tighter leash on all uh like stuff like the premier league and um, now it's a bit more uh, fragmented with uh, Virgin and BT and a, a bunch of other ones, depending on where you are in the UK, Ireland, or in Europe. Um, 
but uh, I remember when F1 uh, when Sky came in with the F1 channel like that was a really big power play to wrench F1 out of the hands of uh, you know publicly owned broadcasters like uh, the BBC and uh, Channel 4 of course who I was watching F1 on for the first time in god knows how long 10 years when I was back home uh, just this past month in Ireland watching with my sister so yeah it's um it's 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 always funny like we talked a lot about the F1 TV stuff as this sort of like rough but you know you know trying their best type of broadcaster for years and as they have gotten more resources and the team has gotten more uh, uh, talented and more experienced it is starting to to go more toe to toe with Sky and I agree with James that I do get a big state run media or which I, it's funny because you know I like state run media and the BBC because they I find them at least you know politically maybe not so much that's a whole other conversation to be had but like definitely with like the the way they report on soccer I think is is in a very independent sort of uh, way um, and I would trust them with something like uh, uh, F one um, but I do get the yeah toe the party line vibe a bit from Buxton and Co and I like him but like he's definitely you know, a presenter in, in many ways, and he comes across that way. Yeah, and you, you do get a trade-off, right? Because uh, their team has way more access than, um, right. than you know, some something like Sky. Like, perhaps, for example, their, their podcast, well, right? They, they, because they're the F1... Four. Yeah, because they're the F1 podcast, officially, they can get access to the F1, all of the F1 drivers and, like, historical people and... Uh, and all that stuff. And, you know, um, I guess it's not necessarily true for the teams because they're, they're not necessarily, or actually they, they do have, uh, some kind of stipulation that they need to submit their technical upgrades to, I think that's all open though. It's not necessarily all that F1 does, but, Mm. you know, Sam Collins does great work doing, uh, the technical discussions. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to, to like there. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, just just I guess remember uh, who who pay, who pays their their paychecks. Yeah, I I would say that I feel like you know I don't think it's that dire. I get the whiff of it every now and again. Yeah, but I do think that like in a weird way we're probably in the best era when it comes to journalism around F one. Um, and you know, obviously taking into account just the popularity and the heavy explosion in YouTube over the past few years and citizen reporting. Obviously we've just seen this crazy bum rush from all these sports and news organizations to hire some of the best talent in F1 writing uh, onto their news desks, onto their sports desks. Um, And we do have a choice between, you know, Sky and F1 TV. And if you're in the UK, you've got channel four doing their highlights too. Um, I would be really interested to like, know what the numbers are when it comes to the uh u.s audience in particular like does the u.s audience do any of them swap to the international feed when they're watching on f1 tv or do well, they, they, they recently changed the default? default yeah they did they um, did yes so i wonder may is that part of the the strategy and the slow erosion perhaps but um we're in a good spot right now and there have been times where it's not been so great or you were stuck with one you know, it was commentator you really did not like, and you yeah. just had to listen to them for years. So we're not, we're not doing too bad at the moment. You're right. It's good to have uh, options. Last email here I'll take yeah. from Nick. Um, uh, says, uh, if you fellas could add one more event to the Triple Crown of Motorsport, 
to turn it into a four-event Grand Slam of motorsport. Uh, what event would you add, Nick? And uh, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, Monaco is one of the uh, current motorsport triple crowns. The other two are the Indy 500 and, of course, Le Mans. Uh, will I go first, Drew, or do you have any? I, sure. I have two. And, I have one that's sort of like maybe a pragmatic one, and then I have uh-huh. one that's a crazy one. Okay, I also have one of each of those. And we should mention that this is a, it's an unofficial thing. This is not, there's no governing body okay. for this. It's just like, you know, uh, the, the, the Triple Crown is just like bragging rights for anyone zeitgeist. who can do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, go for you, it. How about, how about you, 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 okay, I'll go first with my pragmatic one that I think might actually be interesting. Um, I think the Dakar Rally. I think, uh, oh. you know, Kind of like Le Mans, it is one of these races where you just have to finish it. <laughs> it's kind of like even finishing it is kind of impossible. Um, it's on such a long, uh, uh, it takes such a long period of time for them to, to finish it. It's a point to point race through, you know, through incredibly difficult terrain. Um, more importantly, I, I think there are a lot of other races that you could put in that might not speak to like racecraft so much it might be based more on you know we're older cars or or stuff like that or you could pick another track it might not be that different um what i like about the triple crown is that there's a little bit of uh they each have their own flavor to them and i think dakar while being you know definitely way different because it doesn't happen on a circuit um i do think that it is still a a a a a racecraft uh um uh, just about is is still sort of a, a a race in the way that like you know you know you because you could say like i don't know like uh like baja or like uh, pike's peak maybe i don't know but like something like that but i think i think dakar is a bit crazy but it, i think it i think it works and it's you know it's been around since the late 70s so it's old enough too yeah i um i think my actually my pragmatic answer is the daytona 500 because uh, okay, I think, yeah, that's I think you need, show, yeah. you've got two European races in there. You need to balance it out with one more American <laughs> one. Um, and, uh, you know, stock cars are, they're popular. It's, uh, it's, it's, that's the jewel in the crown of NASCAR. Um, I think my, my fun answer though is, uh, I also, I'm going rally here and it is the Baja 1000, but you have to race a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> that is, I feel like, uh, yeah, that's. I think you're right. Actually, I think Daytona might be the best, the most honest fit. Maybe uh, Bathurst is also. You said Baja, and I just thought about Bathurst. Then I was like, Oh, that, that will be. Fun. That's a good one. Yeah. Why am I thinking America centric? Um, you know, there's a whole other hemisphere down there. And and that's a that's a that's often a really good race, and often it comes down to the wire. Um, and there's stock cars. My crazy or, one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my crazy one, which I am. Um, which I which would require, you know, some some new skill learning is um uh the Isle of Man TT which oh my god is probably the craziest race in all of motorsport. Uh, that yep. If like as much as I've waxed lyrical about how insane Monaco is, the Isle of Man T- TT is you know the fact that we are still allowing it to happen in the year of our Lord, 2023. It is the closest thing the sport gets to gladiatorial combat. It is insanely dangerous. There is often loss of life and the speed and skill at which 
these mostly amateur drivers are taking around this insanely weird old island track. Uh, street circuit, I don't even call it a street circuit, it's just country roads, is yeah. completely insane. And it has been running for over 100 years, although they were going much slower when they started it. Yeah, yes. Uh, if you are curious about that, you should go back and listen to our uh, Patreon episode on what is the name of that movie? Of the Isle of Man TT. I watched it in to 3D. The edge? Over the Edge? Closer to the Edge? I think Close it's Closer to the, to the Edge. edge. I, saw it in, I saw it in Leicester Square in 3D, and it was absolutely insane. Um, yeah. They, they, they had a short run when it was in 3D. I watched it with a bunch of uh, petrol head bikers I used to work with in London. It was fantastic. Uh, yeah, great movie. Um, worth pointing out, there's only been one winner of the triple crown of motorsport, and that is Graham Hill. Uh, he won the Indianapolis 500, mm. the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and the Monaco Grand Prix, and was Formula One world champion. Uh, other winners, or other uh, close um, competitors with two of the three, Alonso. we have... Tazio Nuvolari, uh, he won the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1933 and the Monaco Grand Prix in 1932, <laughs> so we're going back a while. Uh, the other, Maurice <laughs> Trintignant uh, from France. This is in the 50s. Uh, it's probably AJ pronounced Trintignant. <laughs> it's, that's probably how you pronounce it in French. Um, AJ Foyt, Indy 500 in uh, Le Mans. Uh, Bruce McLaren, Le Mans and Monaco. Jochen Rint, Le Mans and Monaco. Uh, and then we jump all the way to the 2000s with Juan Pablo Montoya, who's won the Indianapolis 500 twice and the Monaco Grand Prix. And then Fernando Alonso, who's won Le Mans twice and Monaco twice. Not so much the Indy 500. He, he, it's funny. He That's what, you're right, though. That's why you need to have the other ones out of, out of, the, out of the continent because you need to, to stretch it, right? Make, yeah. Put it outside See, their comfort zone just that little bit. Monaco and India is tough because they happen on the same weekend. Oh, right. You're right, actually. That doesn't happen. And I think there have it's been a, drivers that have yeah. done the double, so to speak. Um, like like yeah. flown over and yeah. <laughs> done both. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, well, thank you for the uh, emails. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit, up, hit us up on the socials, which are in the show notes. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the way. Yeah. Speaking of flying to different parts of the world for racing, Formula 2 and Formula 3 will be supplementing Formula 1 in Monaco this weekend. We've got those Craftsman trucks at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina for the North Carolina Education Lottery 200. Uh, DTM is back, Danny. Oh, finally! I've been yeah. waiting with with bated breath. Yeah, yeah. The Motorsport Arena Oberschlafsbrunnen. Which I'm sure is how you pronounce that. <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? O- Do you need Osch- to call a doctor? Oschersleben. 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 Yeah. Please don't uh, talk about my Oschersleben without <laughs> without my permission. The NASCAR Xfinity Series also at Charlotte for the Alsco Uniforms 300. Uh, IndyCar, speaking of the Indy 500, 
and the Monaco Grand Prix. They are both Ooh. on this weekend. It is the 107th running of the Indy 500 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Speedway, Indiana, USA. <laughs> and we got NASCAR. Counter-programming. Oh at its best. We don't They're like Charlotte. For, for the, what could be more American, the Coca-Cola 600. Just oh had to one-up the Indy, you know? Not 500, we're 600. Yeah. Also, Coca-Cola. 600. Coca-Cola. Take that lilt, or whatever they have. You ever had a lilt? That's not in America, is no, it? No, I don't know what that is. It's like a pineapple kind of uh, fizzy drink. Totally okay. tropical taste. Love a lilt. Shout out to all the lilt fans out there. <laughs> Guess I have my uh, thumbnail image um, for the weekend, or for the episode. Um, and Formula One, maybe you've heard of it. Friday, things kick off. Free practice one at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN 2. That's May 26th. Uh, free practice two is 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN 2. Then Saturday, mm. May 27th, free practice three kicks off at 6.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN 2. And then qualifying at 10 a.m. on ESPN. But the race, everyone, Sunday, May 28th at 9 a.m. Eastern, over the air on ABC. That's right. As easy as one, two, three. Get those rabbit ears ready. The American Broadcasting Corporation has your back. Uh, But that's what's happening this weekend. What has happened on this day, Danny, in Formula One history? There it is, the book, In the Flesh. I have the book. I have the book. I'm in my. I'm at home. I'm. A, I'm in my my new house. We're renting in beautiful Petaluma. Those of you watching the YouTube version of this podcast can see the amazing uh, petal trim that mm. our uh, landlords have labored us with. I'm very excited. Uh, it's not just this room. It's in quite a number of the rooms, <laughs> and it definitely doesn't bother me all that much. Um, on this day, May 24th, uh, Mika Hakkinen made it a clean sweep at the Monaco Grand Prix today in 1998, taking the hat-trick of pole position, fastest lap, and the win. The smaller teams are always trying to gain an edge in Formula 1, and today in 2001, the Arrows and Jordan teams left their garages to start the Thursday practice session for the Monaco Grand Prix amid gasps from onlookers. Can you guess why, Drew? Were they nude? Uh, unfortunately not. Both teams had arrived with bizarre-looking extra front-wing attachments designed to give them extra front-down force. The FA banned them immediately on the grounds of safety, but perhaps also out of embarrassment. So ridiculous did they look. Wow. Something to Google. Yes, I nice. 2001 so. Arrows and Jordan in, uh, in Monaco. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's our pre-race show for Monaco. Final thoughts, Danny, ahead of this weekend's hallowed race. Uh, excited for a race to happen this weekend, hopefully. And uh, it was nice to do a one-on-one pod uh, with you, Drew. It's been a while. Um, I it miss has. Rob dearly, of course. Excited yes. to have him back next week. But um, yeah, reminded me of the uh, the old days and also how... Time makes fools of us all. <laughs> Indeed. Well, hopefully we won't be made fools again with the weather. Uh, I'm, I'm also looking forward to a race, even though it is Monaco. I don't know. I'll have fun. 
I'll have fun either way. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>